The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network, NBBN, the focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com, painless podcasting. And by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere via Patreon. Patreon, create on your own terms. On this episode, Andrew gets defensive. Chris gets swanky. Robert gets prohibitive. And Dr. Mark gets the hell out of town. All that plus bonus bagpipes. I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage, and here are your four hat men of the Alpacalypse. God, really? Anyway, here's Andrew, Robert, Dr. Mark, and in the purple gown, Zeklitz. And hello and welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat on the show where hell even we don't know where we're gonna go. I'm Andrew Scott along with my good friends, Christopher Vacano and Robert Anthony. And speaking of not knowing where we're going, Dr. Mark Peterson, <laughs> live remote from Door County, Wisconsin. Beautiful Door County. How's everybody doing so far this week? Awesome. Yeah, you are gonna be awesome being in Door County. Oh God, what I, what I would do to suddenly teleport next to you. Yeah, I'd kind of rather be there than here. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with if, if we've got a version of Door County in Oregon. Um, yeah, what is what is that comparison? What does that look like? Door County is lovely, soft, rolling hills, lots of water because you're sandwiched in between a bunch of lovely things in Door County. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, I don't know, Mark, is it touristy still? Oh my God! Yes, I'm yeah. afraid so. Okay, yeah. um, um, I'm sorry. Back in the echo chamber. Yeah, we're uh, fine with that. With a weed whacker, just decided to do something next door. So I'll go back outside in a minute. <laughs> yeah, Mark is dealing with a competitive mowing outside his current <laughs> facility. Well, Wisconsin is all about the lawn. You have to remember. Yeah, I know. So we don't have that luxury here. We're still bone West dry County. and uh, and painful to walk on. But I think honestly, in Oregon, our closest to to Door County might be uh, Hood River. And 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 uh, of course, you know, many of our places out by the coasts where you can get, you know, fresh pulled saltwater taffy and stuff like yeah, that. You know, every every state has one, right? Oh yeah. So like, I accidentally discovered in Indiana, it's a place called Nashville, Indiana. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, Nashville is weird, wacky fun. Yeah, that's actually where the site of the Ukulele World Congress, by the way, which is how I discovered it. But, uh, I don't know. but it's like that is fun. interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and I think, you know, everybody, but every state has that like little uh, boutique -y 
You know, I, in, in Massachusetts, it's the Cape Cod. Right. Um, and Provincetown. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I don't know. So Oregon, probably Hood River. Yeah. Hood um, River is our is one of our big. And that's the one that's really most easily accessible to Portland Metro, where people go to just go for a little while. It's only about an hour and some away from us. Uh, so what about what about uh, what about Washington? Would it be like, um, I don't know, like uh, Squim or Whitby Island or something like that? Whitby's a good candidate. Um, yeah. I would say yeah, um, the, most of the Puget Sound is yeah, is all dotted with. Very... Yeah, Chris can speak better to that since he he lived up in Seattle for quite a while. Huh. Yeah, the uh, I don't, you know, I've got no firsthand experience with Door County, but yeah, out on the out on the peninsula is is really pretty nice. Um, there's also uh, the Columbia Gorge, of course. Um, yeah, pretty as much. You move, as you move inland, um, you know, it it gets higher and drier and hotter, but the gorge is is really pretty. Yeah, um, and just just beautiful and once again from when we were talking last time uh, a lot of people you know when you think big rivers in the united states you immediately go to the mississippi and the missouri and people don't have a real good grasp for the gorge out here and the columbia river that's a big freaking river that sucker goes a long way significant roll on columbia exactly right and the gorge itself is is underrepresented in our in our popular consciousness because a lot of the gorge as chris was just saying is in places where the population is sparse it's dry as dry can be and there's just not a lot of traffic i think probably one of the 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 other more notable things that we have is uh, the snake river and that's you oh, know yeah. everybody in our generation immediately thinks of a rocket falling into um, evil exactly it was a bad day it was a bad, yes, day. It was. That a was, bad day that guy had a few bad days yeah he had a he had a bad day for every single broken bone in his body yeah, yeah. Uh, when but can, when you can roll on the pavement and manage to break everything pretty much everything oh. i i think including his skull at one point which, oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 so we need a podcast about that whole thing oh by the way. oh so man 70s 70s daredevils sure yeah let's put that on the calendar yeah. oh and i remember yeah. i remember the big plans for him to jump the grand canyon yeah and they <laughs> had to like, reduce the grand canyon into the snake river canyon simply because was, physics like, crazy and then, then that worked out well <laughs> yeah right yeah. exactly well you know what <laughs> Grand Canyon would have worked out our, way better. Our best to Evil Knievel and his family. Uh, and, uh, of course, very uh, that family is just filled with tragedy. But, uh, again, I guess around? You, I don't, um, you know, I, I'll put in a little fact thing underneath here because I'm not doing due diligence. I know Robbie's still playing. around. But, but uh, yeah. you know, their family has pretty much been beset with tragedy, uh, which you can't be really surprised by considering that your your main form of earning money is hurtling your body at right. or over things. But, um, well, listen, everybody, we, uh, we are having a lovely time here. Uh, the weather in Oregon has finally settled down and, uh, we're we're getting some, some nice cloud cover that looks like it might actually build into. Don't say the R word. Don't, don't say it. Don't say the R word. Does anybody know? And I haven't, I haven't checked. Is, is this, um, cover that we've got, uh, uh, how much of it's smoke, smoke powered? No, how, how, I mean, I know that New York is actually... Yeah, I was just going to bring up the East Coast is now starting oh, to get... We had it here. 
Oh, did you guys really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday, yeah, it was smoky all the way down. The that weird, it, it winds up being a very particularly weird shade of like pink and gray together. Yeah. And when weird. the sun yeah. hits it, it does weird stuff with the light. I love, I well, we can get it. This stuff has come from Manitoba, we were told, and not from British Columbia. Yeah, but part of that is, uh, as far as I understand, too, being the resident weather nerd, is that because of some of the disturbances right around uh, the right around the national border, um, there's some weird stuff happening with uh, the standard uh, flows of air and part of the jet stream where it's grabbing stuff. Our our biggest fire right here right now, Rob, is it? It's the boot. Oh, bootleg. Excuse me. I got the wrong. I got the wrong B. And it is huge. It is massive. Uh, I will show it to you right here. It is. They're able to see it from the International Space Station. Uh, yeah. And that, that's some footage that I saw this morning. It is. I uh, I just wonder whether this cloud cover is actually reaching over there because they could really use it. Oh, God knows I, they I, could. I had heard Eastern Oregon is getting even better cloud cover. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And that just just something, yeah, just really something well. to drop the ambient temperature so that... Well, that and, and, you know, with the, the humidity in the air, you can get some relative humility. humidity. What I like relative know? humility. Actually, I'm going to be keeping that one. Humility. Well, yeah. What happens is the fire sits down and, and is a little bit, I mean, a lot of people don't understand, but fire can create its own weather. When yes. it gets that big, yeah. uh, the t- tornadoes are, are one thing, but when you get that smoke that high in the air and those ashes, it creates yeah, its own all weather. That, all that particulate matter up there in tiny little bits running into each other creates static charge. Um, it helps, it can precipitate moisture out of the air above it, which drives a cyclonic effect and winds up essentially vacuuming up clean air from below it, which actually increases the the vacuum effect of the fire, including the heat below. And it's just this mad cyclone. You get this really convection thing happening Mm -hmm. when it starts ripping. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, from everybody here at KYHO, if you're uh, fire support or firefighters uh, out there doing your job, thanks so much. You know, we had a small, small grass uh, brush fire, I should say. I'm sorry. uh, Off of, uh, what was it, 84 uh, that they wound up having to pretty much throw everything within reach at to get it to beat down because that was dangerously close to the metro area again um but as it stands right now most of our wildfires are in our southeast and south central down there was one by salem that got stomped on but uh yeah it's still a little bit dicey here but other than that the weather has been pretty decent and uh, my God, now we're devolving into chatting about the weather. Sorry, people. <laughs> it's happened. It's finally happened. Exactly right. So, yeah, you got a theory about? I got a theory about this weather thing. Is I, you know, for years now, you know, if you watch local news, right on your local TV news, um, it usually turns into. Um, so about ten years ago, I saw this one news report in Mil- This was in Milwaukee. And there had just been a major like city council meeting about like a a whole new budget initiative to bring jobs and all the rest of this. But the lead stories on the local news that that night were um, a little girl whose class had shaved their heads in support of her leukemia treatments. Oh, nice. All right. A, uh, a, A really sexy police chase helicopter film from L.A. 
good good uh, video. Didn't include a white Ford Bronco, did it? It wasn't that. It one. wasn't that one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and and but there was a crash in it. And then um uh oh and then um I'm not making this up. <clears throat> a fireman rescuing a cat from a tree. I'm totally confused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did the cat have a bow on? The cat had a bow on, right? What? So, and I have, I'd never done this before, but I called the station and I said, citizen activist, can I talk to the news director? (laughs) (laughs) Hello? I said, so, you know, so I'm going to be the picky viewer, but let me just, let me just ask this. We had a major thing happen in city hall tonight and your opening cover or this afternoon. And your opening coverage was a car chase from Los Angeles, a fireman rescuing a cat, and a little girl with leukemia. Is that right? And the guy literally goes, we stand by our editorial decisions. Click. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the, you best, know, I that's the best film we had. So let me get let me you, finish this up. I'll yeah, just yeah. at the end of this. Sorry, sorry about all this setup. Ah. But, so, no, that that's was right. so I started thinking about this. It's like, okay, so... What, what if we took this guy seriously? <laughs> if that's true, the only important part of the news is the weather report, right? And I got to thinking about this, and it's like the weather people on TV channels are like the, they're like our shaman. Yeah. Right? They, pro- they prognosticate the future. They read the auguries of time and space, <laughs> right? And they're not always right, but, but, but they're still our shaman. And it's like, and they're the ones who they dress in goofy costumes, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, they, they wear this, the guy wearing the bow tie in the old days, right? And yeah. now we have these, uh, these young women who are actually much more serious than the old idiot guys used. You noticed that, did you? <laughs> they have been, yeah. It's yeah. actually kind of a relief, I, I'm going to tell you. Right. <laughs> Because it's like, oh, some a professional now. But I got to thinking about the shaman thing as weather reporters, and it's occurred to me, it's like people always say that people talk about the weather because it's not important, right? Uh, That's the reason why it's safe to talk about the weather. No, it's totally the opposite. I think it's the opposite. Yeah. I think that's the reason we talk about the weather is because that's what matters. And politics and religion and sex, you know. That's what that's what wins. And I think I, you're, I think you're totally right in that with the shamanic model, you're right because you've got the affable, knowable fool and that's your yeah. weather guy. Yeah. Um and then you also have the fact that the weather is the only thing on the news that not only it direct uh, directly affects you, but it's the only actionable item on the news that they give you because it's the only See? thing that you can personally do something about, whether or not it's take an umbrella, wear a different coat. It actually empowers the viewer in a way that no other aspect of a news broadcast does. Okay, I'm going to get really geeky about this since you brought this one point up. Go. So um, Jürgen, Jürgen Habermas, who is this ancient German philosopher, he's, still, he's like ni- in his 90s now. Is he Frankfurt. still around? I know, I know. And he's not liked, but I love this guy. Testament anyway, to German one living. He, one, of the th- one of the things he said was that our modern, uh, our modern technology for information exchange, TV, radio, the movies, and so on, have cultivated in our society a sense that we're merely spectators. And that our, that our politics used to be about action, but now our politics are about being spectators. Yep. And so I love this idea that, that the weather is the only actionable part of the news in which you can actually go do something, like bring an umbrella. I got really kind of upset this week when 
the national, and I'm not going to say which one, national news prime time gives all of about 30 seconds to the fire situation uh, nationally and go straight to flying phallics in space. Yeah, let's take a couple minutes to talk about... uh, What the fuck? I mean, let's ignore the crisis climate and let's pay attention to a ton, a shit ton of rocket fuel that's... um, being put into the atmosphere and, and making things worse. Well, I'm going to say a couple things about that being that I am also the resident space nerd. Um, you know, I, I understand where people, and of course, for those of you who are under a rock, uh, the big news of the past uh, 10 days or so has been two obscenely rich people flinging themselves up into space for a three? few minutes. Three. Uh, three. There's, there's a race between three. It's, it's, Musk, Bezos, and well, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not speaking. I take Musk out of that because Musk isn't putting himself up in the air. I'm talking about the race between Bezos and Richard Branson, uh, because really their goals are more concurrent with each other than Musk is. And to argue and put too fine a point on it, Musk's main aim for SpaceX has been a commercial support for American interests in space. Mm-hmm. Bezos and Branson simply want to be able to put tourists up for a bit of weightlessness over the Carmen line, uh, which is... Well, and I, get, I, I, I get even a bit more cynical about this, that, that <laughs> their real purpose, uh, particularly Bezos and, Bran- and Branson, is self-aggrandizement. They're, it's legacy building. <laughs> That might be to some degree, but how I look at it is this. America lost the will, the financial will, to really pursue a strength in suborbital space or orbital space right around the time of the Challenger disaster. They realized, people in power realized that they were losing the ability to point to the science that comes from the space program as a rationalization to their constituents that they should be spending this much money. Now, I always have a problem with the this much money because if you look at the amount of money spent from from Mercury and Gemini on, it is a fraction of what we have spent in so many other pursuits like, oh, I don't know, nation building and invading countries that we had no business being in. Give tax breaks to billionaires so they can build their own. uh Now, I have no (laughs) argument. I have no argument with the people who look at Bezos and Branson and say, yeah, maybe pay some taxes. Absolutely no argument whatsoever. But the benefit of independent non-governmental agencies pushing out into space either orbital or suborbital will have direct benefits to the rest of society do i want those dudes to pay their taxes fuck yes i do of course bezos especially you know being that we we have plenty of paper trail on the fact that a lot of his fortune was made by a company that doesn't really pay or respect its employees all that much. And also 
the the guys he's mr loophole i mean in the same way that musk is but we will get benefits from this because we have lagged behind in aeronautical development for 30 years look i am not gonna i am not i am right behind you i think that this is a good move i think that it will benefit us uh i just think i just was struck by the contrast uh of bumping up you know right against each other the climate change the climate crisis let's call it what it is Mm -hmm. the climate crisis and who let him think that a giant penis was a cool thing to so I, I want to give a shout out. I want to give a shout out to a colleague of mine named Sarah Taylor McFarland. We'll put her her stuff up here, Andy. Yeah, she's been all over this stuff. She does media media studies mm-hmm. at Northwestern, ah. and she spends a, a lot of her time actually looking at the kind of religious dimension of all sorts of weird social pop media stuff. Mm. And she's been looking at Elon Musk and these other billionaires launching their explorations yeah. and they all use explicitly religious language oh yeah uh, to describe it mm-hmm. and it's like the fact that that this last one looked exactly like a giant dildo being launched into space unarguably and space, oh and the spaceship looked like a dildo too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry there's but, the rim shot okay but it's like uh, we'll find a good a good link to some of Sarah's work because she's really been all over. Fantastic, this yeah. Now. And it's pretty whimsically funny stuff. So, and she's really solid. I think that the 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 touchstones of religion in this are both unmistakable and absolutely intentional, um, mm-hmm. because you know we're talking about reaching out into the cosmos in a way that you know we've been trapped by gravity for. Two million years as far as us monkeys go and yeah. breaking those bonds you know there's it's, one of the things that i find very interesting is that even people that we would not expect to use that kind of language about this historically have and you really just need to look at carl sagan um sure. but carl sagan was coming at it from a different angle in that he was much more anchored in the joseph campbell school of seeing these huge archetypes and mythos and 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 using the power of mythos to inspire um which in and of itself is interesting the other thing about carl sagan and and how he talks about or how he talked about about these subjects he always brought a reminder to it of how humbling all of this is to Mm -hmm. us it's not it's not aggrandizing it's not elevating it's it's recognizing really how 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 small we are and how little we know. Yeah, and how how um, insignificant we are in the grand scheme of things. A la the the most famous thing that I think Sagan is is known for in that sphere is is the pale blue dot, mm-hmm. and that you know when we finally got that shot of all the planets from Saturn on out in alignment yeah. and just that little arrow going, everybody who has ever lived has done so on this little dot. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I, I know that video is still on uh, YouTube. Oh, sure it is. And it's worth re-watching from time to time because that monologue is, I mean, it gives me goosebumps and <laughs> brings Sagan me at his absolute time. apex. I, yeah. I, I mean, agree. I, it, it really is kind of his masterwork. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't dispute any of, any of your guys' positions regarding 
uh, you know, the launches and the benefits that we're going to reap and things of that nature. I, I think my fundamental concern, the thing that's making me a little nervous right now about all of this is that previously space exploration was was a national thing. The space race was was a point of national pride. It was and I'm not arguing that nationalism is right. Uh, not at all. I mean, what I worry about is that I wonder if this is not the expression of emerging corporate nation states. And, oh, yeah. And, and that's yeah, that's a danger. I'm not going to argue that. But what's going to fill the vacuum if the will of a nation backs off and well, allows other nations to supersede it in China? In tech, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a it's a weird balancing yeah. act. You know, I have a so my meme for this stuff too, by the way, and sort of picks up a lot of this we were talking about is starting. So, if I got real geeky about this, I would say something like in 1980, when the Milton Friedman free market cult people finally got control of the US government, one of the things that we really found, one of the things that happened really quickly was that the idea of a public good was displaced mm. for private goods only. Yeah, and so in my you know in my own case, education stuff, right? University education used to be understood, and it was talked about this way as a public good. So if we make a lot of people get through high school and stuff, we'll all be better off. And starting around 1980, you started to hear the language where why should I go to college to make more money? Yeah, and so, and then if if you accept that as the basis, then people can come along and say as they have since 1980. Well, why should the rest of us pay tax dollars for somebody else's economic benefit? And see what it's like, but it isn't actually for somebody else's economic benefit. It's for all of us. Mm -hmm. But this idea of public good mm -hmm. gets displaced by Milton Friedman's version of capitalism in which the only thing that matters is shareholder value. And you wind up with the model of co-modification ruling so the day. So we didn't go, yeah. Kennedy didn't get us to the moon for private gain. He did it for the public good. Right. And so, like, Chris, you're talking about, you know, the benefits that would accrue. You know, we keep talking about, um, you know, Teflon and all the good stuff that came. Other than Tang, we're not going to talk about Tang. Mm, tang. All the other stuff that came out of the Apollo <laughs> program. Yeah. Those are all public Straight goods, out right? of the jar. Right? No, straight out of the envelope, man. Screw the water. Just give me that. <laughs> <Wow. bottle. Yep. laughs> that was like a yep. NASA version of pixie sticks pixie in a bag. Stick. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, folks, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with the other news of the day slash week slash uh, two weeks. Uh, here on the Narrowband Broadcast Network, I'm Andrew Scott, along with Dr. Mark Peterson up in Door County, Chris down the street, and Robert across town. This is Keep Your Hat On, and we'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat on the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. And we're going to Door County with Dr. Mark Peterson. We're going down the street to Chris Vacano and we're going across town to Robert 
Anthony. And I got a little bit of something that's going to reach back and touch one of the earlier episodes of Keep Your Hat On, where we talked about right to repair. Now, to get everybody who might have missed that episode, and of course, that's no one, uh, up to speed, uh, you probably don't have the right to repair many of the things that you own in your home. And this has been a growing movement now for well on 20-some years, uh, some of the more notable infractions uh, in this realm uh, have to do with things like um, your computer, your cell phone is definitely your smartphone, where if you break the screen and you take that cell phone to anybody other than a corporate authorized repair, you essentially void the warranty on that phone for the life of that. And uh, it goes to other things like software and the inability to get to the boot sector of your uh, computing device or your phone. And uh, this news literally just hit the wire today. Um, It's very nice to see, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, that uh, the president of the United States has actually waded in on this very topic and has issued an executive order earlier this month, July 2021, uh, calling on the Federal Trade Commission to write regulations that would force manufacturers to change their policies and allow what consumer groups call the right to repair. Um, And this is a little bit of big news that we actually have somebody at the federal level looking down on the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and saying, we need to do something about this. That's progress that we've needed to see for a long time. Right. The fact that they're discussing it uh, and and they've they've started the conversation in a very meaningful way that's that's huge well and even bigger than that is that this is top down this is our nation's top executives saying to the the tiers below we need to address this and this is really one of the first times that i've heard any discussion of right to repair on the national level outside of the right to repair echo chamber of everybody with a broken iphone screen going hey you know um so there's progress being made and not only that Uh, Again, one of the things that I think people don't understand about right to repair and owning a piece of equipment is that this doesn't just affect people with their handy dandy digital gadgets in their pockets or their hands. This goes to things like farmers owning large multi thousand dollar pieces of equipment who if they get caught repairing their own equipment they wind up losing the ability to make a claim it goes to your car uh you know our 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 latest fascination in cars now is the the move from internal combustion engines over to uh rechargeable batteries or, or fuel cells and you know we own a prius we own an older prius its batteries are coming up on their life if we take them to Toyota, the the replacement cost of the batteries from Toyota, and by the way, the Toyota battery technology is about 10 years old at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about replacing the batteries will cost as much as going out and buying a, a good used version of the same car of a later vintage. 
Yeah, you should just go down to batteries plus. But right. that's that's the issue right there. Is oh. there is a there's a, a an an uprising of independent battery technologists. Yeah, there's aftermarket that, Toyota batteries. Exactly yeah. that will outperform that are that have a higher safety margin. One of the things that happens with earlier uh, the first two or three year vintage of the Prius, the one that, the one, remember when they came out and they actually had skirts over the rear wheels to improve aerodynamics and the thing yeah. looked like an ugly rolling shoe. Um, <laughs> uh, those batteries don't just tend to fail, they tend to fail catastrophically. As far as I understand, nobody, nobody hold me to that. I'm not gonna uh, deal with a lawsuit about, my batteries didn't explode. Um, but they do have a lot more problems. Battery technology over the last 10 years has grown in leaps and bounds. And it's going to continue to do so. And it is yeah. definitely going to continue to do so, partly thanks to the space program. Sorry, just saying that out loud. Um, but uh, your ability to make decisions regarding the things you own is is still in jeopardy. And it's really only in jeopardy from the corporations that sell you the stuff in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so any kind of movement forward, and by the way, Mark, what year is your Prius? 2014. 2014, so you got me by, I think. Seven years. Yeah, because we're 2007, 2008, I think something like that. It's um, in great shape. Yeah. yeah. And again, they're, they're great cars. It's just, I don't like to be held at gunpoint when it comes to, well, if you don't do something about this, you don't own a car, you own a brick. Well, and if you if you, if you step back and think about it a minute, uh, this is effectively the 20th century version of trust busting. That, it absolutely is. Uh, yeah. Because because when you when you are presented with a path and you're given one choice to maintain that path, that that is the very definition of a monopoly yeah it's the old joke that you have three options first one is no options the second one is the same as the first and the third one is no options again yeah well this this is really works out well right because to reach back and touch another episode Ooh, uh, reaching yeah. and touching yeah i i just uh, i liked that i like the imagery there um but with your remember when you were in a past episode we were talking about obsolescence same episode and uh, is it yeah okay uh uh well then i'm not reaching back and <laughs> just say, glad to see you glad to see you're keeping up with the show flow <laughs> <laughs> well but um what was i going to say oh the obsolescence uh uh and the fact that you're being held at gunpoint is exactly to what Chris is talking about. Yeah. And they got you right where they want you. And they built it, they baked it into the bread. I mean, there's and, no and, way. And doing it. Yeah. And, and, and like your example with the Prius, where replacing the batteries would make, it makes less financial sense than replacing, replacing the entire, the entire car. Vehicle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happens to the old vehicle? Uh, you know, there's environmental impacts mm -hmm. right there. I mean, our, our, our throwaway society is is something that we really desperately need to address. Well, and the environmental impact is actually greater with a car like that because uh, instead of exactly instead of just cast iron and steel yeah. that can be squished into, you know, one third oh. its beginning size, 
you have things like lithium and you know much more lead and contaminant metals going into the environment i remember actually reading that you're not supposed to if you if you trash your prius in a crash uh toyota was actually toyota america was uh starting a program whether or not it still exists i don't know but they would come and take your car from you instead of it going to either a boneyard or a crusher because they were starting to get looked at side eye wise because of the environmental impact of trashing one of those cars it's different than it is with with old technology well yeah and and properly disposing of those old cars is is a whole different kettle of fish as as you yep. pointed out i mean you've got to You've got to recapture those chemicals. That was, and I think that that was actually another part of it that was invisible with the Toyota America thing, trying to get a hold of those cars, is they didn't, they were trying to keep some of their technology from being put under the microscope and repurposed into other places. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's still a huge, uh, there's still a, a huge movement in, in, uh, in sheds and garages in America of electrifying cars there are a number of actually kind of quietly famous uh tinkerers here in oregon who um have ev'd their uh, things like ford fiestas but then they take them out to the drag strip and i'll see if i can't find uh, i'll (laughs) see if i can't find some of this footage um where you know, some some side hat wearing muscle dude or somebody in a drift car or something puts themselves up against this little fiesta or this Yugo. Um, this is, these are electric. electric Yugo. They're, I, I was yeah, they're say, all we electric. Gotta, we got to find the landfill oh. where the Yugos are. And you, you just watch this tiny little matchbox looking car up against this big, sleek Baby. muscle car thing. And it's just and gone and that that v8 with the with the hemi and the 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 hood scoop and it's just left in the dust it's all that weight well that's part of it yeah i'm wondering do you do i because i've been kind of seeing this on the horizon or at least i think i am i think we're really coming to a point where the government where the consumer, where there's going to be a starting a crackdown and maybe a breakup of of all these really strong companies, at least a reigning in. Do you think that this is part of that? I think uh, it's 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 very complementary uh, as far as the the move of the the public goes too. Um, we're kind of you know we we scream up and down about America freedom and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've always been baffled by what willingness the American public has to not be free or where it's okay to be told that you can't do something. Right. You know, Um, Mark, what do you what's your take on that? Why? Why do we uh, all really like our freedom, uh, but yet we give it away in such weird places sometimes? So. Oh dear. Well, hey, let me say. Sorry. He's adjusting. <laughs> Getting lined up. Oh shit. Hey, let me give you the short version of this. Um this is actually this is a topic. <laughs> this is a topic that shows up in Plato's Republic. I am not Don't. making this up. Oh, not about oh. America because there wasn't one yet. Right. right? Well, 
and I'm going to I'm going to boil this down really to like the the bumper sticker level of this. The first thing is that um, what Americans call freedom isn't actual freedom. Uh, That's the first. Thank thing. you for it's that. Not real freedom. No. Um, uh, what they and I, I love doing this in class because I'll say, "What does it mean to be free in America?" And everybody goes, "Doing what you want." Right. And then I'll say, "Which part of you? Which part of your soul?" In Plato, there's three parts of your soul. You got your intellect, emotions, appetites. He says, "Which part of your soul does the wanting?" It's like appetites. And so in America, uh, freedom is really nothing but slavery to your appetites. Mm-hmm. Yep. That would be. And I'm, I'm just quoting Plato on this, mm-hmm. by the way, which tickles me to no end. So, but it's like, yeah, it's just free. It's a, it's not a freedom at all. Freedom requires your ability to choose to do one thing rather than another, right? So, Andy, you're saying, you know, do, do we choose to give up our freedoms? We're not making any choices at all. True right? that. Because yeah. which part of you makes choices? And the answer is, I don't know. My appetites never made a damn choice in their in their existence except one, which is more. Yeah. Right. And so, it's your intellect that makes the choices. It's certainly not. It's not your heart. And it's not your appetites. So, but so we have this confusion about what freedom even is. And so, all these people complaining about, well, what about my freedom? It's like, you mean your your willingness to to give in to whatever appetite is ruling you at the moment? You mean that one? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or your ability, your 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 willingness to choose between three different versions of the same Same advertisement and the same call to action. But they're not actually making a different color. they're just looking at the color of the toothpaste. Yeah, too. exactly like, right. Oh, this one's red. Look. So, so <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's so, the real, so it's, that's it's the real problem. To... And by the way, I urge you guys to test drive this on people when they say, well, I want my freedom. And, and just say, you're not free. This You're just enslaved to your appetites. And just watch what happens. Uh, don't worry about it. We do that all the time in Zen Buddhism. I, and it's I think, really... I think, I think around the, the, the Zendo, that, that will be ah. really, really well... Um, contemplated and accepted yeah i think you know uh, i'm afraid I, I might get my nose broke if i take it out into the i was just gonna say i'm not gonna do that to most of my people because yeah. i like friends yeah. <laughs> you don't want to do this i've been locked away do. for so long <laughs> Look, I'm you know what? I, I don't force banjo playing or ukulele playing on my friends and i never let's play the banjo on second thought i'll play the banjo it'd be too confusing if we all got up and I never force philosophy on them either. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's gotta, a quick way to be shown shirt. the door. There's a shirt that was, uh, that's uh, all I faster. I think I hear banjos. Right. <laughs> don't, don't bark at the banjos, man. That's, 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 I will defend banjos in the same way I will defend bagpipes. They speak to my soul if I, I had am- one. I am not going two to more, uh, two more shout outs while I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, do one, one um, the Yugos thing. I thought not about that in years. Did we all see the movie Drowning Mona? No. Oh, my God. You want to see this movie? OK. Drowning Mona. Uh, D- uh, Danny DeVito plays a town sheriff investigating the murder of Bette Midler. Oh, well, I, I know what <laughs> I'm doing right this there. weekend. Really great. I'm grabbing wow. my popcorn for that. Drowning, drowning yeah. Mona. Trust me. Okay. Trust me. And then the other one is um, 
The other one has now fell out of my head completely. What else were we talking about? I don't oh, know, man. Um, it's it must be yeah, it must be the Door County air. It's it's the Door County thing. Man. Well, I tell you what, everybody, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back on the other side of this, we're gonna talk about a certain effect and how it might also maybe play in a little bit to what we were just discussing. Can I be more? Hmm. Let's see. No, I can't. Anyways, I'm Andrew Scott. That's Dr. Mark Peterson. That's Chris Vacano. And that's Robert Anthony. Wear the hats. This is Keep Your Hat On. And we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Hey everybody, Michael, your stalwart announcer here, the voice of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the shows we put out every month and the bonus goofiness we try and throw in. If you do, we'd really appreciate your support. While we'd love it if you could help us out with a monthly donation by heading over to patreon.com nbbn, please don't forget that you can also support us by telling your friends, relatives, the hot Amazon delivery guy, hell your potted fern, about the show, and do the like, click, and subscribe thing. That's free, and it helps us out more than you might suspect. We just want to keep putting something good out into this bananas world at this extra bananas time. And we want you along for the ride. No matter what, thanks so much for audio visualizing. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Keep Your Hat on the show where hell even we don't know we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Dr. Mark Peterson. That's Robert Anthony. And that's Chris Vacano. And this here podcast is sponsored in part by the Chilling App. Now, the Chilling App is an app on your phone, either your iPhone or your Android phone, that allows you to listen to scary stories in order to help you fall asleep. It is a more intense way to relax and i full disclosure am one of the voices of chilling app i'm very proud to be affiliated with them and starting this week you can listen to me read you the original version of mary shelley's frankenstein uh or as i pronounce it properly frankenstein uh because Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Fill all, yeah, put all the jokes in at this point uh but uh definitely do well, check they were out, wrong weren't they yeah do do check out the chilling app it is a fantastic platform with a bunch of great narrators and a bunch of great stories and one of the things that they're concentrating on that i really like is they are bringing short stories from independent authors who wouldn't normally get published. So in the canon of horror fiction and horror writing, you're hearing a lot of fresh voices and you're hearing a lot of people who as writers have been historically underrepresented. And so do check out the Chilling app. You can check them out by going to the 
chillingapp.com and download the app today. It's, it's one of the most it can be treacherous. <laughs> that uh that that scene and the scene uh uh where they do the the ritz. Right? The ritz. Who's on the ritz? I tell you right now, <laughs> I still great. I laugh so hard I cry, even though I know what's coming. It just makes me just the little boy comes well, out. I just it does. Honestly, my I favorite, feel compelled to call a moment of silence for Marty Feldman because oh. My Where favorite line in the whole movie is that scene at the beginning where they're at the train station and Frank and <laughs> yeah. Gene Wilder's just gone off the train and he, he pats him, uh, Marty Feldman, on the shoulder. Oh. He goes, oh, I beg your pardon. He says, uh, you know, I'm a rather brilliant right, right. Take care of the hump. And there's this pause. He goes, what hump? What hump? <laughs> and, and Gene Wilder does this take with his eyes and he goes, uh... Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was the magic of Wilder is there were few actors on earth oh, who were just... able to act so much while saying nothing just with a facial just expression. a facial expression or even just his eyes he could just narrow his eyes a tiny little bit and it's mm -hmm. worth 10 lines worth of dialogue that scene in in um in Willy Wonka where they're going oh. down the river yep uh, I, that is I mean that is really Gene Wilder scares the shit out of you. I was just going to say, for, for people in our generation, I mean, Mark, you were of age back then, but I'm sure it was still a fun, trippy thing. But Fuck yes. That was fucking traumatic, that scene. Are you kidding that, me? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. whole movie was pretty damn disturbing. You know, it's really mm -hmm. funny that we're bringing this up, and I'll, I'll edit this together because now we're back into good content. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was reading an article today about just how dangerous and nasty it was for those kids to film that movie oh yeah oh, oh, oh yeah particularly the scene with augustus gloop when he falls into the chocolate river i didn't realize up until i was died. i was today down. years old when i learned that the chocolate river was honestly a chocolate river it was water filled with uh cocoa powder and mm -hmm. and and dried milk and, you know, you'd think, well, okay, at least, hey, the kid's going to be able to swim around in something fun uh, for a little bit. No, he wound up being in there for like eight hours. Mm -hmm. They had to do take after take after take. Oh, and then a couple days later, they had to do it all again. Well, the problem with that was after the first day, the chocolate milk started to ferment and spoil. Oh. And... Um, there was a habit of the uh, crew to dump their unfinished coffee into the river. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Oh, to the point where this thing was curdling oh. while the kid was in it. He had uh, a mouthful and was sick for days. I was just going to say, and having and just gotten ate chocolate for the rest of his life, uh, probably, probably so not. you wouldn't, you would, you would think something like that. But anyways, we're going to move on here to our next little bit. Chris, you said that you had something uh, to bring to the table today. And what is Das Thing? Yeah, this springboards really nicely off of the uh, conversation that we, that we just finished up about right to repair. Uh, and, and that is, uh, I've, I've noticed a term, um, becoming more frequently, you know, appearing more frequently in, in places that I read. Uh, and the term is the Diderot effect. Can you give uh, us a backstory on who Diderot is before we push forward? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Dennis Diderot, 
um, was a, uh, how, how would you characterize him? Uh, kind of a writer, social critic. Yeah. Um, a bit of a philosopher, but not like a classical philosopher. Um, he, he, like a real he, philosopher. He was a bit in the in the vein of like Voltaire. Yeah. Um, social commentary the, and criticism. Yeah, social commentary in the 18th Famous century. Famous atheist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's primarily yeah. where I know him from. Is is exactly. His we should link atheism. down below. Link yeah. down below. Yeah. He he wrote an essay called "Regrets on Parting with My Old Dressing Gown." Hmm. Um, <laughs> we need to update that. You need to write a new version of that. Yeah, get on that, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I will. Yeah. Um, in it, he explores the effects of this extravagant purple dressing gown that Catherine the Great gave to him in 1765 in exchange for his library. And, uh, uh, you know, when I, when I dug up that little nugget, I'm like, who on earth would trade their library? I mean, what, I, 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 there are a few things I get, I get really tweaked about well, that's something about. you and i share is don't fuck with my books, books are yeah books are precious mm -hmm. yeah. Who, who gives up their books for some pajamas you know it, it, it's like but but, hey, but they were really purple extravagant. i was just gonna say they might have been the pajama to end all pajamas you know it's true you never this know so 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 he explores the effects and at first he's really happy about this dressing gown um <laughs> and then and then he realizes all his other possessions are seem dull and tawdry and uh really they're, they're sort of eclipsed by the by the beauty of the dressing gown so he replaces his chair and his bed linens <laughs> and his desk and pretty soon he, he he drives himself into debt trying to trying to compliment a nightgown yeah trying to trying to bring his possessions up to the level of that nightgown of that of that dressing gown oh, um somebody needs medication and 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 so he 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 speaks to the to the trap of uh you know sort of consumerism and, and sort of how it works where you know you get um you know get, you get a new item and it affects the items around it and and you start rethinking those you know uh ty several yeah. several episodes back you were talking yeah. about a new couch here we are reaching around and touching another episode touching the same episode, episode again <laughs> <laughs> and 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 yeah you know we talked a bit about okay new end tables new curtains new coffee table it's a similar phenomenon so so the Diderot effect I, I i dug into it a bit um you know as a term it was it was coined by an anthropologist named grant mccracken in 1988 in a book that he wrote called culture and consumption uh new approaches to the symbolic character of consumer goods <laughs> Uh, they never make their titles short. No. Um, <laughs> short equals and, boring. Yeah, so it was first coined in 88. It was picked up again in 1982 by a sociologist and economist named Juliet Shore. Uh, and she wrote a book called The Overspent American, Why We Want What We Don't Need. Huh. Um, and then she circled back around to it in 2005 and wrote an essay uh, called Learning Diderot's Lesson. Um, and, and that's where she tied consumerism and particularly American consumerist attitudes to environmental impacts, you know, the, the great throwaway, the disposable society. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and really, the term is, is frequently used today among 
Well, in, in discussions of, of minimalism, simplifying your life, you know, those kind of movements and sustainable and green consumerism. And, and, and the whole thing has, has just sort of stuck in my head. And I'm thinking about and, and I'm thinking about our earlier conversation. You know, um, this part of it is is actually facilitated by these companies that, that get you into this trap, get you onto this this hamster wheel of, yeah. uh, you know, you got an iPhone and it's a great device until it's not because they've upgraded the software so much and they've put out more generations. And, you know, sooner or later, you've got to break down and replace it. Well, and that always go that, that points interestingly to something that I've kind of watched from the sideline, um, and that's what's referred to as iterative design. And iterative design is the practice of always making the next version be subtly different from the last. Yeah, different color. Exactly, and it's something as simple as color, or something as simpler as you know the 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 line because it radios to the world that your thing is the newest and greatest oh, even yeah. if but this thing goes up to 11 exactly even if something yeah. is essentially the same its outward view of being different and more current is it, it's 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 its own cachet it's its own reason for being and it drives so much of the market it not only here but around the world you get into other nations like india the turnover of cell phones in India is off the charts. It's also interesting that most electronic waste winds oh. up in India. Yeah. And I mean, literally mountains of old computers and, and, and uh, electrical parts where the, the poor of India make a living going in, ripping these things apart, yeah, sometimes with their that. bare hands, not even with so much as a screwdriver. Yeah. And they will pull out and they will literally take the gold endings off of chips en masse in order to harvest that microscopic little bit of gold. And actually, this does all go back to Diderot and the effect in that we're still not only are we still i think we are more susceptible to that than ever in this mm -hmm. world um and part of it has to do with like you were saying chris the invisible impact that a lot of these things and not only these things but this way of life we're all hooked into well and and grant mccracken really delves into this in his book uh, that 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 what's happened is somewhere along the way uh, there's been a shift in in our thinking about the objects that we buy, yeah. that that they have become part of our identity. They've become an expression of our identity. <clears throat> and so as those objects change, you know, it becomes a display of identity and <laughs> status. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and yeah. and to to connect that up for a second to something else, um, uh, towards the end of um, last semester, uh, my son was in an economics class and we were watching uh, an economics video and, and sort of discussing it mm -hmm. and and one of the things that the that the guy on the video was talking about was you know truly wealthy people uh, in general they're they're smart with their money they they tend to save it they tend to hold on to it they don't get into you know especially when you're building wealth you don't display you don't go out and spend it on on you know a big fancy car until like that big fancy car is not a hard expend expenditure right um 
And, and, and uh, you know, the ultimate example of that is, uh, you know, I, I recall we used to marvel back in the 90s at Sam Walton and the fact that yeah. he drove a beat-up pickup truck wore you know, wore the same, you know, denim shirt. Over and, and over and, and over again, yeah. Battered cowboy hat. Um, and, and you know, he didn't, he didn't feel the need to make that excessive display of, of his wealth. And yet so many, uh, so many Americans now, uh, uh, particularly with like influencer culture, um, they, they spend to and oftentimes beyond their own limits to present this image of success mm -hmm. and high identity uh, and, and wind up getting themselves, you know, pretty deep into trouble. It's the, the phenomena that the nouveau riche always wants you to think that they're the riche, the riche <laughs> don't give a fuck. Does this plug back into the, you know, I, one of the weird things that, that's stuck in my head over the last few years is that, one of the major growth industries in the United States is storage compartments, right? Yeah, exactly. I wonder, like, I don't even, I, I would be interested and I'll, you know, let's all do a little bit of digging. I would be interested to know the difference between um, nations is, is like, uh, yeah, storage facilities. Is that a thing in like, I don't know, the Netherlands? Or is it really an American phenomenon that, that we actually have an entire industry yeah. built up around little boxes, little boxes, where you yeah. can store all your extraneous shit. Well, I mean, and that's, that's, that's one of the yeah. odd, odd things, right? You, you get somebody touting that they're minimalist, but they've got three storage. Units. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Marie Kondo is telling you to clean up your stuff and you just move your stuff somewhere else where it's not, <laughs> not in view Yay! of your camera. Or, or, people, or people who have that one room in their house to do their video call so that it looks Marie Kondo, but then everything outside that door is just an absolute... <laughs> facts of newspaper. It looks like an episode of Hoarders. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, yeah. Mark what, would you, what were you saying, Mark? Yeah, well, this gets to what Chris was saying, too. It's like, it's like if you watch an episode of Marie Kondo, right, that she's done on TV, you know, she's done her shows, right? Yeah. Um. This all to me goes back to like fetish capitalism, which is what you're talking about here is the you identify with the things. And so our idea of, of uh, our personal value depends on how many things we buy. And the reason that's a fetish is because it's, it's a replacement for what we actually need, which is like a real life. Yep. But, you know, mm -hmm. not just owning stuff. But if you if you look at Marie Kondo's shows, what always struck me was watching people cry as they went through their stuff to give it away. Mm -hmm. Right. And you could see them. She had that. She has the whole process ritualized. Right. To make it possible for people to, you know, does this spark joy? Right. Right. Um, and when you give it away, you actually are supposed to say thank you. And then you put it in the goodwill pile. Right. Yeah. And it's like watching people go through that psychological trauma, you know, and all these shows about hoarders and stuff now. Right. Mm -hmm. On on whatever channel it's on. Um but you know what I'm talking about here. I'm watching anyway. I'm just thinking this goes back to Chris. I think that it, you know if you if you think about the psychological trauma that you can actually find evidence of that all over the media these days. Well, sure, sure, because uh, you know in those situations you're not just unloading stuff. You're deconstructing your own identity, yeah. and that and that is traumatic, and that is scary. And I, I think I think in general people are you know as 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 a self preservation sort of, uh, you know, uh, exercise, 
you know, we're not we're not inclined to go into that space easily, right? We're not we're not it's not easy for us to tear ourselves apart and rebuild ourselves. Well, I think um, it's also kind of interesting too in that, you know, the thing that Kondo is is trying to portray in the giving away of the thing, you know, and it's always done on camera with just the right angle is the idea of catharsis. Um, oh, yeah. And and I think that there's a confusion that happens that they very carefully edit uh, because like you were just saying, Chris, um, a lot of what you're seeing on these people's faces is not catharsis. I mean, if you want a real example of catharsis, right. you go to Poetics by Aristotle. That's really where, in my mind, catharsis, the reality of catharsis happens. What you're seeing in these people is trauma and yeah. trauma oh, is different nice. from catharsis that's good. Mm, that's no. really good mm -hmm. you know yeah. um it's the difference between giving something away and being forced to let go of something when you aren't ready because the cameras are rolling yeah. right right yeah well i mean it's it's that mother culture whispering in your ear that you are what you own instead of what you do and right. and right. i'm right. losing and, a and part of me that 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 stuff is status Stuff mm -hmm. is love. Stuff is happiness. Stuff is greater yeah. than its simple stuffness. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm absolutely certain one of the things I want to see is I want to see the guys from like um, the ghost discovery stories. I want to see them break into Mary Kondo's basement because I imagine there's plenty <laughs> of fucking dirt there. Tell you what, everybody, we're going to take another quick break and we're going to be right back here on the Narrowband Broadcast Network. That's Robert Anthony. That's Christopher Vacano. That's Mark Peterson of Door County, right? And I'm Andrew Scott here in Portland, Oregon. This is Keep Your Hat On. We'll be right back. The madness continues. Good. Hi, everybody. This is Andrew Scott the host and producer of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. Look, this pandemic has been really hard on all of us. There's no question. Things were so bad for so long. Everybody locked away, praying to stay healthy, hoping for a solution. And for a while, things started legitimately getting better. But now, just when we were thinking we could get back to some kind of normal, we have the Delta variant, which is much more transmissible, like 60% more, and it makes more people sicker, including young people. We may be through with coronavirus, but coronavirus is sure the hell not through with us. Feeling helpless feels awful, but we are not helpless. Both of the MNRA vaccines are highly effective against both the Gamma and Delta variant, especially when it comes to keeping people out of the hospital. Statistically speaking, if you get either MNRA shot, your chances of getting coronavirus are very, very low. And if by some unfortunate quirk you do, your chances of passing it on are significantly lower your chances of having to be hospitalized are even lower, and your chances of dying are nearly zero. Yes, 
both Pfizer and Moderna are working on variant-specific boosters right now. But honestly, any shot of any kind is better than remaining unprotected. Truth is, the more unvaccinated people we have, the more mutations and variants we'll see. And there's a chance they'll be even worse than what we're dealing with now. You're sick of this? We're sick of this. So do what it takes to help fight it. Do everyone a favor. Keep wearing your mask in public. Stay vigilant and get your damn shot. Any shot. That's how we fight this fucking virus. For all of us. In the US, go to vaccines.gov or contact your local health authority worldwide to find out where to get yours today. This has been a public service message from the KYHO team. Welcome back here for the final segment of Keep Your Hat On, at least for this episode. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Dr. Mark Peterson and Chris Ficano and Robert Anthony. And we're going to wrap this show up with a little bit of advice from Rob about, well, something that we here at Keep Your Hat On don't really ascribe to all that much because we say plenty of shit to each other that we probably should just keep inside our heads. But uh, Rob, what do you got here? Let's talk about things uh, never to say to anybody ever. I mean, ever. these are the slogans, these these phrases that just get under your skin. And I gotcha. got six of them, uh, six of them to start us out with. Okay, and this uh, we'll be linking to the original uh, article down below here, but yeah. uh, press on. Most of these, by the way, most of these are an uncomfortable way to... Somebody who's uncomfortable with the situation. Oh, fill in and, space. And hasn't quite fit together that there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Ah, okay. Uh, and some of these are a little bit toxic sympathy or examples okay. of toxic sympathy. So put up a warning underneath here, Andrew. Right. Yeah. Flashing. It's flashing now. Uh, See that? Uh, <laughs> and and so some of these are I I get the these are bad. These, my worst ones are not on this list, but let's, let's talk about that later. Go for it. First one is everything happens for a reason. Oh, you hit my, oh. like one of my number ones yeah. right off the top. Yeah. Wow. Uh, again, toxic sympathy. Yeah. Simple. That person is just that person that is saying that is uncomfortable with the situation. Doesn't understand how to empathize. And it's, ill-heartedly trying to lift somebody up. To me, it always feels like deflection. Yeah, it, it seems like a, a comfortable, canned, and totally inauthentic response. Yeah, I have nothing constructive to say, and I have no way to comfort you, so I'm just going to throw it up to the gods. And that is that is basically sympathy. Sympathy is, uh, and I can we can link down to down below there. There's a great uh, three to five minute um, YouTube video on the difference between empathy and sympathy. But basically, sympathy is when you're looking down at somebody. Right. Feel when you are when you are trying to elevate yourself above them, but you don't know how to console them. Mm -hmm. Empathy is when you get down in the muck with them. Mm -hmm. Right. The second one 
is it could be worse. <laughs> right? Yeah. What the f- why well, thanks a pant load chat yeah, yeah yeah why would you why? you know if somebody's got cancer well it could be worse yeah right oh geez louise yeah leave that Go one ahead. out of any discussion oh yeah yeah oh these are all yeah, really so, really i'm terrible, sorry i cut you off ty go ahead terribly minimizing mm-hmm. uh uh and some of them are you're right andy some of these are very deflective yeah um uh, and and really try to take the oxygen out of the room and put the attention someplace else. Or back uh, on the person one. who's suffering. Yes. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Here's here's a little salt. Right. Right. Yeah. Would you like some uh, vinegar with that too? Yeah. Uh, everything is going to be all right. Is the third one. Woof. Again. And just not beige something. statement. Yeah, it, it really just is. Doesn't belong. I mean, but yeah. everything is going to be all right might be okay this one might be okay if it is qualified yeah it's that's that's about context because you know you and i are are in a spiritual practice where if you strip everything away that's kind of what we say often um but you know just lobbing it out there without even having it delivered musically a la bob marley that's where uh, I was going. Yeah, it, 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 again, it just feels like I got nothing to say here, so I'm just going to say something pat in order it, to take up space. Most of these come from somebody just being unaware that they're uncomfortable with hearing somebody else's woes and not knowing how to, not, not knowing how to see or, or just be with that person. Yeah, and that goes back uh, to the whole thing of uh, never ask anybody how they're doing. Unless you Unless really want to really know. Unless you really want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. because really the, the one time somebody actually gives you a full-on honest answer, you are going to be Mr. or Mrs. or MX uncomfortable. I got to be quite known in the Zen circle, in the Zen circles, where you, you don't ask me. Yeah. If, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm not going to. You're going to hear about my bowel movement this morning, and it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Well, I don't um, know. Don't take any pictures. I before you yeah. go to the go to the roses. One, I think yeah, Chris. It it also comes from a, a hesitance and maybe a fear to actually connect with another person's pain. I think that's uh, very accurate. Which is what empathy is. Yes. Yeah. Empathy is being willing to experience the suffering or joy of somebody else, and th- mm-hmm. actually, both of those things can be a very scary proposition. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. It's the literal meaning of compassion, which means to suffer with. So, yes, exactly. Yes. And that points to that points to, yeah, to the next one. I'm sorry. That points to the word no. passion, which will actually word salad at some point in the future. And we'll probably have to do a whole show on that one. <laughs> Thanks, Kierkegaard. <laughs> <exciting>. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> number four, number four on the list. I didn't mean it like that. Oh, that is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mean it. Now that is that's that's a that's a textbook example of a deflective statement, and it holds hands, unfortunately, very well with something that drives me nuts, which is, I didn't mean you to take it that way, or you didn't right, need right. to take or it that way. That wasn't my intention. Right, exactly. It, 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 it then puts, what was? It puts all the responsibility on the, the on the receiver on the receiver for how they and 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 it's like. You know, I've used uh, that wasn't my intention, but I, then I will follow up and explain what my intention was. So I've been guilty of it. I'll cop to using that one in the, yeah. you know, in the past. We all but I generally try to expand on the thought and say, this is what I was trying to communicate. And I did it poorly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and I think and I think these are all theme. examples of 
I think these are all examples. I mean, I know that when these, when I can't stop these words from coming out of my mouth, I cringe. I cringe when I hear myself say it. Yeah. What's the next one? uh, The next one, you should, and then you insert the instruction, right? Nobody likes good advice. No one likes to be told how to live their life. Yep. And and we live in a world of shoulds and oughts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can shit all over yourself if you're not careful. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Oh, there's the rim shot and the laughter. Okay, yeah. And uh, said it first, but okay. Number six is you need to move on. Right. You should never be saying that to somebody. That is just totally dismissive. And that is the definition of a dick move. Yeah. 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 Besides, things go with you forever. Yeah. Yeah. How how dare anybody presume to know the appropriate length for someone else's process? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And uh so that that's the list that's in the article. For me personally, uh somebody telling me to relax. Oh yeah. <laughs> or to calm down. Yeah. I got a whole story behind that. I really realized that. I I had been taught not to say that uh in social services. Oh. But I had I had that thrown at me in in a in a dire er experience that um really brought that home right i don't like hearing the word even if i'm driving in the car my partner says relax that just pisses me off do you think that that has something to do with the fact that your spiritual practice is all about being centered and in the moment and that actually is a pointer to you uh the person with you perceiving that you're not I tend to lean into the semantics of it. I'm okay with gently being reminded that I need to come back and that I need to be present and I'm maybe not present. Mm-hmm. Um, but being told re- to relax is generally when somebody is going to say that when you're already elevated. Yeah. And that doesn't help. It's no, just not. I help. agree. No, it, it winds you up further. I, I, what I was going to ask is how do you feel about alternative ways of, of expressing the underlying idea so so if somebody were to tell you hey take a beat and think about this is that is that yeah no that's acceptable that's ex- that's acceptable. I, I will say that i will receive that better than being told to relax because being oh, yeah. told to relax insinuates that i'm spun up you know and i don't know to, to me that bit there kind of feels like a judgment mark i gotta ask you if you had to come up with an addition to this list what would one of yours be? Oh, this you know, to me, they always devolve around. This has been my experience. It, they always come back to some sort of should, actually. That's why I had the joke waiting. Yeah. It's like um, uh, one of the weird things I started to do this. So back in my early days when I was looking at Zen and Tai Chi and doing all these kind of, you know, internal stuff and you start to uncover all of the crap. Yes. Um, one of the weird changes I made in and I still do this to this day, by the way, um, was uh, whenever I would say I should really go do something, I would stop myself. This mm-hmm. even when I thought it, I would I, I I trained myself to stop thinking and go, okay, will I do it or won't I do it? And the reason for this was, you know, I remember, you know, it's like people would ask you to go out for a beer. This is when I was in school, and it was like, oh, you know, I really should go home and work on that paper. Now, what would happen then is this is why the shoulds are so bad. What would happen then is if I did go home and worked on the paper, I didn't really get any joy out of it because it right. was something I should do. Right. right. And if I didn't do it, then I should have done it. And I get the guilt. But I, I was just going to say fabulous bookends. Yeah. 
should but statements found, are actually guilting statements. Right. And but what I found was really interesting was so if I changed the language from the from the UDs, should, could, would, ought, mm-hmm. to whether I was actually going to do it or not. This has a little Earhart seminar training action to it, which I, I can't stand, but it sounds like that. But if I changed it to will or won't, here's what happened next was, okay, I have to, this paper has to be finished tomorrow, but my friends want me to go out and have a beer for a few hours. So if I did that, I'd have to write the paper from about 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. With, with a beer buzz. Right. And then, I, then, but see, if you decide, am I going to do it or not? If you go, well, I'm going to go have the beer, then you take full responsibility for the action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's no shoulds involved. And, and so it's people go, well, you know, you should have done it. It's like, well, whatever. I didn't do it. Yeah. And so it sucks. Done. I made the choice. There you go. And it's like, yeah. I think it, it had this really weird psychological relief for me. So to this day, I try never to say should. And it's like a lot of the stuff, Robert, was, was those are great. That's an awesome list. It right? really was good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think all, a lot of those kind of devolved down to the shoulds, right? You should do this. And, and it did what's interesting them. is the other stuff you guys brought up, I think, was the stuff about that's actually about the person saying it, not about what they're looking at. Right? Yeah, it's, which it's, invariably it's is how it winds up. So. In an addendum to yes. this, I would also, something that I relatively recently learned is that you should avoid why questions. Questions that begin with why. Oh, yeah. What, you yeah. what you're doing when you ask a why question is that is generally going to be a judging statement. The person's going to feel like yeah. something's wrong and is going to immediately go into it a defensive stance, yeah. at which point you are not going to have a constructive No, process. and it's always better. That's the first thing you can never ask. Right. You can yeah. never say, why do you feel that way? You can say, how did it happen that? How did you, you land know, to that? Certain, yeah. Or, or what's That's really interesting, this? Robert. Yeah, because yeah. why always brings up defense, and it always leaves the door open for excuses and rationalizations. Mm-hmm. Asking how. How did you come to think that? How did you wind up where you are? That invites a person to tell you about their own personal experience, which is always better traction. Her- yeah, it opens the door for empathy. You're there going we go. to have and, and a conversation that is curious yeah. and empathetic. Yeah, exactly. Well, we are definitely getting the <laughs> we are definitely getting the why of Door County over uh, <laughs> over the right shoulder here, and I think that is our invitation to shut this fucker down and go live our lives. Uh, again, everybody, we are very grateful that you decided to tune in with us for this episode. This is officially our 10th episode, so happy mini birthday to us. Wow. Um, uh, but again, we'd also like to point you out to our merchandise shop, because we want to give you superfluous shit to collect and be, have trouble giving away in order to clean out your life. So you feel do us a favor. About yourself if you buy this. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. agree exactly. Yeah. And everybody yeah. will envy you. And, buy this and be somebody. And then two and, days and after you buy that, does. we'll change a color and make sure that it's the most contemporary color. I think mm-hmm. uh, we're all headed towards. Coming back. We're coming all headed towards change. Periwinkle. Uh, but you can get our stuff and support the podcast by heading over to our web store, which is kyhopodcast.com slash shop. Or you can just help us on Patreon by supporting us through there with a tiny little monthly donation. I need to put on my NPR voice there. Um, mm-hmm. But you can head over to patreon.com slash NBBN and support the show that way. Or If you're tight on cash and you just want to use your finger, hit like, click, and subscribe down below and make sure that you tell your friends about the show. But gosh, people, 
We've done it again. You have wasted more fabulous time here with us, the guys from the Keep Your Head On podcast. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Robert Anthony. That's Chris Vacano. And that is the vacationing Dr. Mark Peterson. And we will Go see you, you again next time on <laughs> Keep Your Hat On because we may end up miles from here. Thanks a lot, folks. Everybody take care. Get your shot. Keep wearing your mask and help out your fellow man. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster, available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com. And don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. Hannibal's a cannibal and he's okay. He chops all night and he cooks all day. He cuts down the insulin and eats his lunch. Liver and fava beans. On Wednesdays he goes shopping and has garlic toes for tea. NBBN. The Narrowband Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.